Welcome to Shanghai Zan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be also joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. You can learn more about Shanghai Zan at our website, johnstation.com. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Witwam, and I'm Ali Kazmi. And we'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. If you like the show, share it with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review—nothing less than five—on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you know, this podcast is pure love, not profit. People ask me sometimes, "How much money are you making from the podcast?" And it is a big fat zero. So, if you'd like to help us, we'd really appreciate it. You can make a donation at Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/ShanghaiZan. Today, Ali, we are going to talk about cross-continental commerce, more specifically between China and Europe. Are there still opportunities for Western brands to enter the China market? If so, why is the e-commerce role the best option for them? We're talking about someone that I've learned quite a bit about e-commerce from in the past few years, and that's Victoria Glantz. Until recently, she was leading Baldwin's European office as head of international business. She started off her career in consulting, and consulting brought her eventually to China. And China, you could say, brought her to Fulljet, which is now Baldwin's front door to retailers seeking commercial success in China. We should tell our listeners who's not familiar with Baozun. It is the largest Taobao partner distributor for brands in China. She's now launching a new company called Sesame that helps brands to sell better and more online in Europe, taking her experience from China. I don't think we've met anyone as obsessed with e-commerce as Victoria, shouldering both Europe and China. Victoria, welcome to Shanghai Zan. Thank you, guys, and um, it's uh, very exciting uh, to do this podcast with you,、uh, since we know each other for a while, and、uh, I think it would be a very good discussion. So, Victoria, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you today, and what's your relationship with China? How did you end up working in one of the most exciting yet most competitive industries, which is online retail? Actually, I'm doing great. I went back to Europe two years ago, and it was planned uh, because. Uh, We we feel the need from、uh, our brand and partners to have a real and efficient bridge between China and Europe、uh, or Western market. I would say, knowing that China e-commerce was more and more complex to understand and to apprehend for people who were outside of it.、Uh, of course, it has been accelerated with the COVID situation,、uh, which has been、uh, tough and challenging as it、uh, it was for many people. But it was it was a plan for us and for Fujet, and it was before the acquisition of Baozun. Regarding my experience、uh, as a nutshell, I actually never chosen to work in e-commerce, and it was actually an industry that I disliked a lot because for me it was not enough down to earth and not、uh, pragmatic enough at that time. That was my thinking,、uh, and it's very funny knowing that it's now my obsession day and night. More seriously, I started, as you said, in consulting, and I started in retail. So I was、uh, advising retailers、uh, in their strategy and execution plan in France. And through this firm, I've been sent to China, to Beijing first, 
to advise the biggest retailer in traditional Chinese medicine, which was another big venture uh, of mine. Um, but I was already and also a China passionate. I did an internship a long time ago, and I, my ultimate goal was to go back to Asia and to China. So all combined, uh, when I succeeded to come back, I did this, 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 this job and I did this project. And then I, I wanted to do something else much more concrete and m much more like uh, satisfying in a way. When I met Sandrine and Sandrine Zabib that uh, is a founder and of Fujet, and it was a, a love uh, at first sight, <laughs> if I may say. And we, we decided together to build a new offer with Fujet, totally focusing on uh, e-com and digital marketing at that time. And it's uh, it's how we became a t what we call a TP, so Taobao partner. And it's what we did. So the early stage was very, very challenging, of course, because I had to master all the value chain components, the details of e-commerce operation, and in an environment like Tmall or JD, which was totally different from Western platforms, and all in Chinese, of course. So uh, I think we, we cracked it with an offer which was very different and which worked. First of all, uh, we were targeting premium brands, adding more brand strategy and management to the offer besides the pure, I would say, TP plumbing and just the execution of store management and order fulfillment. And we also worked closely with platforms to be creative in a way we were operating the brands online. So. Uh, that's how we ended up with uh, roughly 100 uh, employees and been, as you said in the introduction, purchased by Baozun, which is the biggest e-commerce player in China. And what do you think that China offers to European brands, even after COVID? What do you think that it, it provides them? How similar and how is it different to what you're doing in Europe? That's actually a great question. Being here in Europe I'm for two years now, I can easily do the, the comparison. And actually, it's a fantastic assessment. First, I would say China offers, and by far, the most advanced, sophisticated, connected, and immersive e-shopping journey in the world. And even though some European markets or even the US are improving a lot online, it is not even what I experienced when I arrived in China 10 years ago. <laughs> so the gap for me is still massive. But the difference with China who was leading this market all alone with maybe Japan and Korea, Western market now have a benchmark to follow. And what I can tell is all eyes are turned to Asia and more specifically to China today. There is no one discussion with a a CEO or an e-commerce director, a head of digital or CDO with no comparison and no will to know more and understand more deeply the China market in order to, uh, I would say, um, duplicate the recipes. So the first difference, honestly, and actually it's massive and that's the biggest one, is the ecosystem itself. Because here in China, I mean, we're working with the giant platforms, aggregating all the features and filling all consumer needs, which, by the way, is another big difference where China don't really have a distinction between a user and a consumer, at least not anymore. Uh, all platforms consider a user as a consumer, and that's basically the foundations of social commerce. You can shop, you can book, you can pay with WeChat, even though the primary goal of it was to be a social media. And the opposite is also true. You can chat, you can read, you can interact and have access to billions of content through Tmall and JD.com, 
even though they are initially a virtual mall or a marketplace. So it doesn't exist in Europe. In Europe, you have brand vertical websites, okay, the dtc.com.fr.de, whatever, which is today the biggest sales e-channel for brands. And then you have marketplaces. And that's also the, the third big difference between China and Europe or even the US is China will offer virtual mall. T-Mall and JD are not marketplaces. They are virtual mall where brands can lead and run a shop hosted in a website, hosted in a platform. While in Amazon, for example, what you do on uh, Vente Privé or uh, other platforms in the marketplace in Europe, you just upload products and uh, you have a product listing through a search. Uh, and it's a huge difference. And you have now some initiatives from marketplace like Amazon to look like more a Tmall business model with the Amazon store initiative that is uh, more and more popular. And I would say last, and actually it loops back with what I was saying at the beginning, European brands tend to be more shy and conservative in the way they interact with their user and not to be too immersive, not to be too pushy, not to be too digitalized. The consumer is changing and is younger, is way more connected and is therefore looking for a much more sophisticated and immersive experience online. And my uh, big uh, statement is it's like the demand is ready, but the offer is not yet equipped to do it. Sorry, I'm just curious to understand what you mean by the offer is not ready to serve a very sophisticated online customer. If we were to unpackage that a little bit, what does that mean? It means that basically what they do is very traditional, conservative way to do e-com. So the direct marketing approach, for example, is email. They, send, they continue to send newsletters by email to push new offers, to push new products. You can also see that live shopping, and it's also something we can discuss further later on, but live shopping is at its premises while it literally exploded in Asia, not just in China, in Korea and Japan too. And also the way we animate the offer, we do promotion, even outside of discount, because we have the habit to work with premium brands and luxury brands who don't do discount, but still we'll animate the offer online on Tmall or on JD or on WeChat, but still refuse to do it in Europe, not because they don't want to do it, but they think the consumer will not take it, which is totally wrong. And we can see from the market a lot of other initiatives in metaverse, for example, but not only, that proves that the European user or the American user is ready to be a constant e-consumer. I had an interesting conversation with someone who was comparing the Western and Chinese model. And he said that it's all about the discovery phase. It's all about how people discover products in the early stages that's different. Do you think that much of this is cultural, that there are some things that are really specific to how Chinese shop and think and behave? Or are there instances, for example, you just mentioned the email one, that Western platforms and companies could seriously take advantage of, even though they obviously are working with platforms like Facebook or, or Instagram that may not have the total functionality that you would find on Chinese platforms. So you're right on the last piece. The platforms are radically different. 
in a way that you don't have any platform today that is even 60 or 70 percent of a WeChat that we have, WeChat we have in China. And I'm even not speaking about Tmall because Tmall is even further, bigger, more immersive and so on. On the first part, I don't disagree, but my own assessment is more on the transaction phase. For me, the conversion is made totally differently between the, the both markets, I would say. And it's at this part of the funnel where we see the, the disruption between what we do in China and what we do in Europe. And even on content, uh, which is actually a, a huge topic of, of CISME, the way we do content in Europe, we will do the pack shot, the traditional pack shot, and that's it. You don't promote product features. You don't offer immersive video. And you don't offer mobile format, which is crazy today, knowing that even in Europe and not just in China, we are searching and even buying massively on mobile and not on desktop. So for me, the leaking piece is at the conversion phase more than on the traffic phase. And why do you think that European brands are slow to adapt these things? I think it's because they are in their traditional markets. When a French or American brands want to enter China, they enter a market where the situation is as it is. You need to be online. And retail in China is very difficult. It's very expensive. And the territory is as big as you cannot have an exclusive retailer to cover the territory, you need to work with regional distributors. It involves to have local teams to manage them. It involves merchandising and so on and so forth. So when they come to China, they come in an existing situation where online is as big. When they are in their core traditional market, it's different. They started offline, all of them, almost all of them. When we have discussion with newer brand, newer designers, the discussion is way different. They see online as a much bigger opportunity as offline. But when we talk to traditional brands in cosmetics, in fashion, in electronics, online is something that was added to their traditional business. And I think that's why they're more, I would say, slower or more conservative in the way they do it. They need to digitalize the company itself and they need to think differently. I have a follow-up and maybe also a point on that one. I wonder if, if it also has a little bit to do with the growth story of China and it has to do with the history of retail in this market versus Europe is obviously very different. Europe is very mature. It's, um, you know, it's got high street in, in almost every city imaginable and it's got established brands. So there's a lot of norms, I guess, that are established in Europe. And a lot of those norms may not necessarily exist in, in this country. And so culturally speaking, I can, I can totally understand why a Chinese consumer would be drawn to e-commerce because suddenly it gives them access to or visibility on hundreds and thousands of brands that typically they wouldn't have otherwise access to. So culturally speaking, I think there's a lot of draw for Chinese consumers as well. I don't dwell on the past, but I remember when, I mean, you and I have been here for way too long, but 20 years ago, I remember when, when we went from cassettes to CDs to VCDs to DVDs 
to USB keys to the internet and all of that within the space of, uh, I would say, around 10 years. So if we applied the same equation to e-commerce and retail, yeah, I can I can totally see how that, that hunger for newness, it's not even consumerism, right? It's, it's almost human culture and brands are kind of you know, the carriers of culture and suddenly you have access to all of these things that you didn't have access to. Um, or your parents didn't have access to and so I think that has a lot to do with the growth of e-commerce and so when you compare that with with Europe I can totally understand why people are going to be less drawn or at least perceivably less drawn to it I think the the experience that Victoria has and and the insight that she has onto consumers in Europe seemingly you know young people are probably a lot more excited in doing video based or live commerce and just to to add on what you've just said I think it's also because everything arrived at the same time in China I mean, 30 years ago, everything came up. And so it was, retail was new. And so e-commerce arrived quicker in a way compared to the traditional retail uh, timeline and path compared to Europe where retail exists for 200 years. It makes also a huge difference. I think the Chinese consumer is much more ready for newness and innovation than is an European or American consumer. There's also this whole thought around supply chain as well. And you mentioned this earlier, the billions of people, I mean, there's a billion people that need to be served over here. And Europe is maybe a percentage of the total Chinese population. And so making sure that things are delivered on time within a certain time frame, it just, it creates opportunity. Demand creates opportunity. And I think China was just poised to transform both on the delivery side, but also on the e-commerce front. I think that kind of sets us up for the second question quite well. You mentioned social commerce. There's lots of dimensions to social commerce as well. Maybe you can kind of unpackage that a little bit and talk about the merits of social commerce in relation to traditional e-commerce. Uh, certainly, there are certain reasons why brands are gearing or, you know, they're skewing towards that in China. What has your discovery and what's your journey been with social commerce in Europe? And, and how do you think they're similar or dissimilar to each other between, you know, between both continents? Actually, for China, I think social commerce is now just normal. It's a platform itself. WeChat obviously is not Tmall, but will offer same type of features rapidly. So all brands and not just the premium and luxury ones that, as it was at the very beginning of a few years ago, will now include WeChat or even Duin in their China e-commerce and digital strategy. So as an e-commerce... What does that mean? What does social commerce mean? Like just for some of our audience that may not necessarily be familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Social commerce means leveraging a social media platforms to sell products and for the consumer to buy. So with a transaction phase. So uh, typically in uh, in Europe, it will be to purchase on Instagram, and in China, it will it will be to to purchase or to buy with WeChat. So that's for social commerce. And as I said, in China, we've reached a maturity where it's a normal platform to include in any e-commerce strategy. Even though at the very beginning, so I would say five to six years ago, uh, it was an opportunity for luxury brands to have one foot in e-commerce without damaging their brands in the, I would say, the the beast of Tmall or JD.com. So it was the beginning of it. But today, the question is more, what would be the multi-e-channel strategy and execution plan and how do we make the channels resonate between each other 
which is one of the biggest challenge we have, by the way, given the platform's competition in China. And as a brand, how do I ensure to be consistent on all the digital touch points for my consumers? So the big difference, and you're right mentioning it, is the cost. Of course, the cost to lead a WeChat store or a temporary WeChat mini program versus a Tmall flagship store is big. And again, all medium and big brands are not in the assessment stage anymore. They know they need to be, they all need to be run at the same time, but with a slightly different strategy, both on product, price, and campaigns. It's a big difference for new entrants, and so that's why maybe it can be interesting for your audience. Of course, when you are a new brand or when you are a niche brand and you want to enter China with a small awareness at the beginning, social commerce is a good way to test the market, test the water, and to adjust the offer within a reasonable budget. Being honest uh, here, it's not really on the brand to decide where to go anymore in China, I mean, because entering big platforms like Tmall or JD is not for everyone. And the requirements from the platform are bigger and stricter every year to avoid having weak stores, bad performance. So I would rephrase it this way. When you have a choice, it means you are ready to be multi-channels and you start with your flagship on Tmall or on JD or both. And then you add your social commerce channels. And when you don't have the choice, it means you can't open your flagship online from day one. And so you go for social commerce to start. That's for China. For Europe, it's different because today there is no equivalent of WeChat. As I was saying earlier, it is true that Instagram or TikTok, which is the equivalent of Douyin, doing more than before. But we are still at the very, very early stages, both in terms of features in terms of users' adoption, in terms of payment. And today, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's true, an European user will open it, its Instagram, its Instagram to scroll, to post, to share, to interact, but not to buy yet. What are your thoughts on AliExpress, given that obviously it's a Chinese platform, but it's got inroads into Europe? I wonder if they're replicating some of the some of the tactics that they use to sell products in China with uh, the rest of the world. Let me explain. Number one, the biggest country in Europe using AliExpress is Spain. And I think it's a good good thing to start because it shows also the level of price point that you expect from the platform. Spain is not a premium market, okay? So being number one, I think it's first to Russia and then it's Spain and then it's France. So it shows the level of sellers you can find online. So AliExpress is more an equivalent of Taobao and not Tmall. And it's exclusively, and it starts changing now, but it was exclusively Chinese resellers. And the goal is to find super cheap products, okay, that you can import from China. And you are ready to wait three weeks to get your package because you will pay it three or two or three euros versus 30 because it comes from the factory, basically. That's AliExpress. Getting back to something you mentioned about entering the China market, you said that if you open the flagship store, then you add in the social commerce element later. But now, maybe because of the cost and restrictions on JD and, and Tmall, there's maybe the opportunity to go first with the social commerce and then move into the platform. Is that correct? Could you give me an example of a brand that you've worked with 
uh, a European brand or a foreign brand that you've worked with that's done this correctly and they've had a great success? Yes, you're right. But as I said, I would say today, the only targets for to do that would be small brands. So brands who doesn't have the budget or the readiness to open a flagship on Tmall or on JD. In terms of strategy, yes, we did it. And all the business case and the success stories we have are in luxury. Every luxury flagship we, we have opened with Baozun started on WeChat. So even Gucci or Prada, we started on WeChat and then we go on Tmall. But in no cases, we proved volumes. And it's important to mention it to our audience. You don't go on WeChat to do volume. You go on WeChat to test. You go on WeChat to acquire private traffic. And that's also a huge difference that I didn't mention between both, between big platforms and between social commerce platforms, is on social commerce platforms, you need to acquire private traffic. On big platforms, you basically bet on a public, organic, huge volumetry of traffic. So to do volume, you need to go on platform. It's something I keep repeating to all brands, even though they are huge, you don't do volume on WeChat. Could you give me an example of a luxury brand that you've recently worked with that's done very well in this model? What did they do specifically that was attributed to their success? Recently, no, because honestly, with Timo Luxury Pavilion, it's been two to three years that all brands want to be there, except the top, 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 like Dior, Hermes, Chanel will not go. But I would say that the second tier and obviously the, the, the last one, it, they are all on Tmall today. So there is nothing specifically to, to do on Tim, on WeChat. The only, I would say, the only big advice I can recommend, and it's what we've done with the luxury brands we work with, is to choose the merchandising. We opened WeChat with a specific campaign, a specific range of products, and a specific promotion. Promotion not being a discount, but being something to animate the offer. So we try to target and to reunite the audience around something very specific. And then when the brand was ready, and when you can open on Tmall, you have your full range of products almost. In cosmetics, yes, and in fashion, you may choose, but you are basically here with the entire spectrum of the offer you have. What do you think about live commerce? Does it has a future? I know that it's very popular on Douyin. I mean, in China, live commerce is a rage. Do you recommend it for your clients in China? Do you think that Europeans will embrace live commerce on European channels at some point in time? Or is it just too much of a Chinese cultural thing that people can sit and watch uh, an influencer talk for six hours and introduce, rapidly fire introduce products every five or ten minutes and then go to the next one? Is it just the format is just it's too localized? It's it's an excellent question. I will start with China and then I will try to to give you my own assessment on the European situation. For China, I will provide a similar answer that I did for social commerce. Live commerce is now very very mature. It's a channel per se, you know, it's a, it's a mandatory, it's a must. You cannot do it. You cannot do e-commerce. You cannot sell online in China without using or leveraging uh, live commerce or live shopping uh, as a channel. Then the way you do it and where you do it can, can be different, but you need to do it anyway. So 
whatever it host, it's hosted on Douyin, on Taobao Live, on Xiaohongshu, at the end of the day, it remains live commerce and you, you should do it. So there is no brand, even the smallest ones, who will not choose it and invest in live shopping. And it's because live shopping is also evolving with more entry-level hosts, okay, more curated hosts as well. And this has been also accelerated with uh, the fact that uh, VIA has been uh, shut down. And more recently, uh, we are still waiting for Austin Lee to come back if he comes back. So No more cakes that look like tanks. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. But it was a huge thing for us. Huh? As a TP, I need to tell, it was a huge thing in a way that it impacts sales for so many of our brands and I know when it sounds crazy when I say that to my clients here but uh, it can be dozens of millions less in an annual target because we don't have the two to yeah the two to five live shopping we planned with Austin Lee so or with Via before so it, it had a huge impact but on the other hand I also see it as an opportunity on a more long-term run to have a new space for new hosts and to have a less concentrated and monopolistic situation about it. So, and it's what we see, you know, China is so fast. We can already see the new star of tomorrow, the new Austinese, the new VR, but instead of having two, we will have maybe 10 or 20, which is much better to negotiate uh, as, a, as a brand and as a TP. So then in terms of hosting platform, it's what I call, it's how I call it because Taobao or Duin, they are just hosting platforms. The real channel is the host itself. It can be one or another, but it should be actually all of them. But one thing for sure uh, is just the target consumer. So Duin has a younger consumer audience than Taobao, for example, and propose more creative new aged hosts. Uh, which can be more interesting for younger uh, for a brand who is targeting younger generation, but still they are both huge in numbers. You know, uh, Taobao and and Douyin, Xiaohongshu is smaller, but even Pinduoduo has its uh, live shopping uh, channel. Live shopping is just normal in China, and the numbers when I give the volumes of sales, the volumes of records, the volume of views, nobody can believe it. Sometimes when I do demo of uh, of Tmall. At a meeting, we check a brand online. We check an, an online store. Last time was uh, Estee Lauder, the cosmetics. We had a live during the demo. And they are, no, you're joking. It's, uh, it's, it's not real. I said, no, it's real. It's now. And I even sent a message in, in English, you know. And they were impressed to just, at the moment of the demo, you had a live. But there are so many lives now for big brands that you can find one with the brand you want. So that's why I say it's a new normal uh, in China. In Europe, it's very different, very, very different. Even though everyone is now looking at it, I mean, brands and partners and, and aggregators and, and so on and platforms. I, I'm working with a French uh, marketplace, the second one after Amazon, and it's a real obsession. They created an entire new business units for that with a studio and so on and so forth. So it's the hot topic, even hotter than uh, Metaverse. Here it's the other way uh, around. The demand is not here yet. The offer wants to push because they see an opportunity, but the consumer is not here ready to be there to see it. But, and that's also an explanation, it also comes from the difference of platforms. As a Chinese consumer or as any consumer being in China, 
You will just log in your tab out to search, to scroll, and you will see a live shopping and attend. Here, if you want to attend a live shopping of, let's say, uh, Chanel, or uh, I'm trying to find a non-French brand that everyone may know, uh, uh, DKNY, you need to be online on the DKNY website at the right time. So what brands are doing, they are sending invites by email. Then you can put it in your agenda, and then you can go on the website, see or attend the live, which is very different. I always think that live stream is always evolving in China. As you said, there's no more creative forms. One of the things that I thought was great about the live stream experience was not the selling, but the customer experience, both in terms of pre-ownership and post, where if you literally had a question about a product or a pair of headphones, you could go on, like you said, you could type in a message right then and have this person respond to you, like why this product is better. And I even know FMCG brands that use live stream as a means of connecting between, you know, having a personal connection between consumers and the brand. And I know luxury brands, they're actually setting up these private rooms where brands can actually provide customer service and recommendations to their consumers. Do you think that these forms of live stream, it's funny, you know, because in China, the level of customer service has improved a thousand percent since I arrived. Do you think that live stream could take on different forms that would be probably more applicable to Western audiences? It really depends on the volume. The issue I have today when I speak to European brands for their Europe market is that's great ideas. We do understand the vision, but what would be the ROI behind and when? And I do understand that question. It's different in China because of the volume of people and questions you have to face, number one. And number two, because the platforms addicted the rules. The way we do customer service in China, and as a TP I know, for each brand, even when it was a starting point, we had minimum three people on CS, customer service, because we had to follow the Tmall standard to have one after sales, and two before sales because we had to cover an 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. shift. And for big company, it's 24 hours on 24. It means that we, we don't have the choice. If we want to sell online, we have to follow their rules. In Europe or in America, you, you, each website needs to, to, to run by itself. You're not addicted by any host or any platforms to tell you what to do. So it's very difficult to invest that much for, as of now, a traffic and a volume which is still, I would say, middle. It's it's increasing, obviously, but it's nothing compa- compared to China yet. So yes, you're right. It's Of course, it will evolve. And as I said, we can see many initiatives, not just in live shopping, but in specific digital products, in order to have an algorithm to answer to some consumer questions, not really a CS, but uh, for example, in fashion, the key topics now and fitting and sizing recommendations. In makeup, it's to try on, even though you, you don't have the makeup review at the moment. And this is how, through digital, you can connect with your consumer much more and increase the conversion and uh, minimize uh, or decrease the return, which is actually also a key topic. That's fascinating stuff. Given all 
the issues and restrictions and lockdown, lots of reports about economies slowing down in China, all the challenges that you mentioned, is it still a great market to enter as a startup? Would you still say, yeah, definitely, you, you cannot not be in China, you have to be there, or has it changed a bit? Actually, and I, I may be a, not an optimistic one, I never said that. I never said you have to be in China because even when I started this business, I knew how expensive it was to be in China in a way you will make money. And so when you present a business plan to brands and basically they will break even in year three and start maybe to earn money in year four, it's, you know, the conversation is uh, colder than before, you know, becomes much more like uh, complicated to run. So China is, uh, was, is uh, still an Eldorado, but you need money. You know, you need a, a huge presence. So today the economic situation is as it is. Everyone knows it. Everyone read reports after COVID. So I'm not saying that China will be drastically different in terms of volume and consumer behavior. But I think, and now it's even more true, it's not a market to tackle when you don't have a basis of awareness. And that's actually the very beginning. If you don't have a traction to start with, I would definitely recommend to brands to not go for it. And I spent my last two years talking to European brands who want to go to Europe, uh, to China. And honestly, I had to recommend to more than half of them to not go. Without doing a huge market survey, without doing a big e-commerce assessment of the situation, competition benchmark and everything we can do because it was obvious uh, after like a 15 minutes viability assessment I can do with my team in China that it will not be uh, successful and it will not provide a, a sustainable ROI in the coming three to five years. Is that because the product isn't right or is it they just don't have the financial commitment that you mentioned to spend there for three to four years to before they make money. It's not a China is never a quick rich opportunity as 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 you pointed out. Do you think it's also because the product fit or the number of competitors was would that also attribute to the rejection of fifty percent of the people you talk to? It's a combination of both, depending on the brand. I would say here I have different uh, diagnoses. Number one is money. So when I talk to a brand who says, I need to present a plan to my shareholder and my shareholders want to be uh, break even in year one, I, I stop the conversation and I say, okay, we can stop the conversation here. The second situation is there is nothing special to offer, knowing that honestly, almost all brands are already in China. Okay, American, French, German, whatever. Um, and the ones who are not has a reason for. So we need to understand the reason for not being there earlier, uh, and that's important. And number three, and it's something I keep repeating, and it's true in a lot of product categories, China offers now much more and much better local brands. And it's true in fashion, it's true in luxury fashion, it's true in cosmetics, and it's even more true in electronics. So we, it's not just a competition between foreign brands or international brands in China. 
It's also now a competition with local brands, which obviously knows their market, playing by the book and um, having a much better offer at a much better price for their local and domestic uh, demand. We've talked uh, quite extensively on social commerce and live commerce. And I wonder if, and we, we've also obviously covered, um, you know, it's just becoming a lot more expensive to whether it's, you know, using influencers for, for commerce purpose or it's, you know, as you said, paying for traffic and you just need to have really deep pockets if you want to drive audience to uh, an e-commerce platform. An established one anyway. Um, in what conditions would you give advice to an advertiser to perhaps consider a D2C model? You know, is that is that a recommendation that you also make to brands or is it primarily, you know, focused on the platforms? I will still be a very uh, conservative one here, but honestly, China is a, obviously a digital market. Online penetration is the highest in the world. Um, but for D2C, I've never been convinced, at least in China. And I do understand brand's will and what's behind it, but it doesn't work in China. You can try having a strong e-commerce website, which can be complementary to your flagships in platforms. But if, it's, if this website represents even 30% of your online sales, it's already a miracle. So the best in class, and we know it because it's a client of us, is Nike. Nike has invested massively in their direct channel, so through their uh, .cn, uh, but with a very sophisticated merchandising strategy. So all products uh, that have been launched were launched exclusively first on their website before going on Tmall or on JD. Uh, then they had specific campaigns through their website and they invested in loyalty and CRM on their website as well. But even like this, even with this uh, investment and, and commitment, I would say, Tmall remains their biggest e-commerce channel uh, for online sales. So uh, in Europe, it's, it's the other way around. Actually, brands are seeking for good platforms that can provide a volume of qualified traffic as can do Tmall because the key between vertical and platform is there. How do you access to a certain volume of traffic and at which cost? So the problem with websites in China is nobody is using Baidu to search something. Everyone is opening a selling platform to search for a product or a brand. So how do you redirect and how do you even get traffic to your uh, D2C channel in China is super challenging. So the challenging piece is at the traffic part. Victoria, you, you had a successful career as a consultant and then you went, co-founded a company. Now you're setting up another company. We have a large portion of our audience, which are younger, what kind of advice would you give for people in their careers that you learned along the way about making choices? And what would you recommend for someone who would be interested in, in getting into your line of business? It's a very good question. And I've been asked and told many times. I think there are no specific recipe, but in my case specifically, uh, I was and I'm still a very hard worker. So uh, for me, you cannot succeed in anything if you don't do it. So I am a doer in a way that when I started to work uh, uh, with Sandrine and when we, we, we built this digital offer, I was literally sitting with every position of the store management, design of the store, et cetera, et cetera, to understand how it worked. I was there to understand the team all backend. I was there to understand how to upload products. 
So I was there to understand exactly how it worked all along the value chain in order to be the one to supervise this afterward because my my job was to to make sure everything w- was done properly for our clients. But if I didn't spend so much time on understanding it truly deeply and doing it even sometimes myself, I was not able to answer to my clients in a, with the credibility I had and I still have when I, I speak about e-commerce. So for me and the advice I give is when you say, oh, believe in your dream or be yourself, for me, this is bullshit. I, I never dreamed being an entrepreneur. And that's also something very funny. Uh, I, I was seeing myself in a big corporate organization. And when I started in big corporate organization, I cannot say I hated it, but I was not, I, was, I didn't fit. That's more, uh, that's a better term. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't start with an idea, start with a value proposition. And that's for me a key. All ideas are good. You know, everyone can have great ideas. How do you sell it? How do you make it real? How is it valuable for your target clients? I would say if you are in B2B, that's the key. And I think that's why also we succeeded. And you've been out of China now for two years. Do you think you would go back? You think there's a time that you'd head back to China? Actually, there is no one day I don't miss it. I actually posted today on my Instagram uh, a story of my uh, office decoration in my uh, country house where I put my uh, uh, some uh, Ch- uh, Shanghaian board, you know, and, and paintings. And uh, so I miss it every day. Um, but I think uh, Asia is a bit behind me now. My key focus now would be more... Uh, as Europe or the US, but going back to, of course, uh, uh, be with my partner Baozun and spend some time uh, there and, and see the people that I missed a lot and are still in China. Yes, for sure. Fantastic. Ali, are we ready for the A-B test? We're absolutely ready for the A-B test. This is the best part of the show. For for anyone that's still listening to us, it's so late into the show. Uh, it's, it's basically when we throw, uh, I guess, words, statements, questions at you, uh, Victoria, and whatever comes first to your mind, that's what you have to answer. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. A stands for Ali, B stands for uh, Bryce. Paris or Shanghai? Shanghai. Consulting or commerce? Commerce. La uh, Datang or Rue de Vaux? I don't even know if I said that properly. La Datang is pig intestines, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> None. None of them. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost a bit, I'm almost a Vegetarian. No, none of them. <laughs> Hold on, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ridevo is what's the, similar, what's Ridevo? but French way. It sounds better, but I don't, oh, I'm not boy, sure it oh, tastes better. Uh, Tmall or Amazon? Tmall. Live commerce or meta commerce? Live commerce. Instagram or Douyin? Douyin. Strategy or execution? Execution. JD.com or T-Mall? You want to put me in troubles? I'm platform neutral. Joker. <laughs> Plage de l'Almanar or Sanya? I know the answer to this one. Uh, Plage de l'Almanar. I'm sorry. <laughs> and honestly, no. I mean, you need to come to France and enjoy the French coast uh, to, to, to understand. That's the best. That's really the best. I thought you missed China. I miss China, but for me, Sanya is not the China I miss. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. 
Victoria, it was a fantastic uh, discussion today. Uh, so informative, uh, so exciting. Thanks for being on the show today. It's been great. Thank you very much. I, I actually really, really enjoyed it. And uh, it was great spending this time with you and be able to share a bit of my experience too. Great. And thank you everyone for joining us on today's episode. Join us in two weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Oh.